I'm not trying to play the victim here. I'm just speaking in an honest way. I know that I am successful, but I don't feel that way. I still feel like a failure. I still feel like a loser. So got to keep up the momentum. Got to keep running. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Today on the show... I get to speak to someone who I've been wanting to learn more about for quite some time. You can call me Mr. R or Mr. Regular. I'm still a little bit private about my real name and background, but I do have a history in radio and a degree in English literature. I am the creator, narrator, and half-writer of the YouTube comedy car show called Regular Car Reviews. Regular Car Reviews is one of my favorite YouTube channels. This is largely due to the unique voices of the presenters who are still somewhat anonymous, although you do get to see a glimpse of their faces every once in a while. Mostly in the rearview mirror. Mostly in the rearview mirror. And they are (laughs) Mr. Regular and the Roman. By the way, I've seen these guys' faces and Mr. Regular joked to me about how he had a face for radio. Not true. Me and you, Dan, we have to stick to the radio. These guys, they could actually do a little camera work, I think. To give you an idea of regular car reviews, here's a clip from one of their videos. If you own a luxury work truck, you own a business, and people call you boss. But if you own a Ferrari, you own multiple businesses, and people call you sir. And you don't even need to be a car person to enjoy this YouTube channel because it's about so much more. First off, it's hilarious. Second off, he's constantly making references to movies and literature, politics, and culture. <laughs> I'll tell you another thing that he makes a reference to quite often is central Pennsylvania culture. And it's kind of weaved in there in a way that it wouldn't be so obvious, right? But for somebody like you, Dan, that's from central Pennsylvania, all these jokes really hit home. But yeah, you know, Ian, from being from such an obscure place, it's really cool to find some media finally that in some ways is glamorizing or at least showing some of the cultural uniqueness of South Central Pennsylvania. With that said, like the last episode that we did with Patrick over at Red Kite Prayer, I don't think you need to be a car person or a bike person to understand what's going on in the show. Mr. Regular shares a lot of his insights into how he got started four years ago and also what the journey's been like becoming a YouTube sensation and turning this into a business. So I hope that you stick around and hear his story. Just a word of warning, this interview does contain some adult material. So if you are hanging out, listening to the show with someone that is under the age of 65, you might not think this is appropriate. They are dark on this channel. I think that's part of the reason for the appeal. If kids are around, it's time for earmuffs. Last Christmas, we did the Elise, but this lady just sobbed while driving a sob this year. Well, I started regular car reviews when I got back from Alaska, which is a whole nother story where I was looking for work in Pennsylvania, didn't find any. And I did it for a little bit, started to take off. Called up Roman, said, hey, what are you doing? He said, well, really nothing. We were both in that grand wasteland after college. I said, hey, uh, a guy's coming out with uh, Dodge Avenger. 
do you want to help me write a bit on it? And he said, sure. At that moment, I thought we may have something here. So we kept it up and the videos started to get shared. The big breakthrough was our Miata video, the first one that had such catchphrases as track day, bro, and the best, which goes to show you that if you want a comedic phrase to stick, all you have to do is say it a bunch. Track day, bro. Yo, track day, bro. Bro, going to track day? Go to track day, bro. Five sets of tires, bro. Yokohama, bro. Sumatoya. Nitto. Hoosier, bro. Hoosiers. Got some Hoosiers for the track day, bro. Bro, you coming, bro? Cones. Gonna tear it up. Left foot breaking, bro. Track day, bro. Come and get a roll bar, bro. Let's uh, let's kiss. Did you see any potential in that? Or were you just thinking at that time, this is fun, this is funny? I saw no potential in it. I saw it as nothing but something to pass the time. But there came a moment where I was looking for a job in Pennsylvania, couldn't find one, looking for one, couldn't find one. And I was with my good friend, Tom, who is a doctor of chemical engineering, a real scientist. And I was moaning to him in the car, like, there just isn't any work here. And Tom said to me, well, if you could do anything you want, what would it be? And I said, Tom, if I'll be honest, you know those three or four dumb videos I made? He said, yeah. He said, I would do that forever. And Tom just said, well, then do that. And I said, I can't, there is no money in that. There's nothing. He's, and Tom said something very important. He said, don't think about it. Don't think about the money. Just do it. Like, okay, Tom's the same age as me, way more successful. Maybe I should start listening to my successful friends and see what they have to say. Instead of, I don't want to say having the career my parents wanted, although that was a little bit of it. Doing a job that would be reputable in the eyes of my elders and be a job that I could talk about at a Christmas party and have me fit in. Because even now, it's very difficult to explain, especially in the small town that I live in, what I do. And when asked, sometimes I want to avoid the question and I'll just say, I'm an automotive journalist. Now, even that is pretty interesting, like in some of these small Pennsylvania towns. But if I'm honest and I say, I have a YouTube show and I make money off that, the first question that people ask is, how's that work? And I say, it's like any other job. You fill out an application, you hand it in to YouTube, you follow a few things, then you start making videos. And then their next question is, well, how's that work? I say, well, you put videos up and based on how well they do, you get money. Well, how's it work? And then they keep coming back to that. It's like, well, how's it work? I say, you have direct deposit with your job at the aluminum extrusion plant? Yeah, it's like that. <laughs> it comes in. Well, do you have to choose the ads? No, they put them up. Well, how's it work? But at the same time, when people come and ask me, well, how do I make videos that will make money? Sorry for the name drop, but I say the same advice that Freddie Wong gave me. And he has a very successful almost franchise, multi-channel thing called a Rocket Jump and previous of Node Studios and everything. Freddie Wong is the guy who made Video Game High School. He made all those overly stylistic gun battle videos in video game style. And he said, if you really want to have fun on YouTube and make money, don't make videos that you think other people want to watch. Make videos that you want to watch because if you enjoy it, you're going to have fun doing it. And odds are, if you like it, someone else will too. So you see a lot of people trying to make money on YouTube by chasing trends. And that's where you get the entire 
Wendy's Super Bar. Timely reference. <laughs> Wendy's Super Bar of reaction videos. Reaction videos are for people who don't have original ideas. Show me a car show that resorts to destroying cars, and I'll show you a car show that's running out of ideas. Which is a subtle dig at Top Gear toward the end. They just crash caravans and drop pianos on cars. I'm like, all right, I see what you're doing now. It was absolutely awful, yeah. Although, I don't want to knock Top Gear. If it wasn't for Clarkson, Hammond, and May, none of us would be here. I mean, they were pioneers. You really feel that way? Yeah, I, I was inspired by Clarkson. Who wasn't? Who watched Top Gear for the first time and thought, I want to do that. Because before them, what was there? There was Auto Week and John Davis. John Davis, who talked like this all the time. He never had a bad thing to say. You look up automotive shill in the dictionary, there's John Davis. Not to knock him. I mean, he did Auto Week for almost 30 years or something like that. He was consistent, and I still watch all those retro reviews on Auto Week because, goddamn, sorry to swear. Motor Week. He was the standard, at least in America. Absolutely, yeah. And like you said, he did that show for 30 years. He reviewed cars that people were actually buying. And so that's kind of where you guys come in, right? Right, yeah. Mr. Regular, I want to get back to, this is a business podcast. I want to get back to talking about the business of regular car reviews. At what point did you guys start to figure out, and I assume, and maybe I shouldn't, that you and Roman are partners, we're not. You're not? Okay. No, I own Regular Car Reviews LLC. The Roman is an independent contractor writing reviews for me. Okay. I did that because at some point, all things end, at some point, Regular Car Reviews will end. I'm not saying it's going to be yesterday, but entropy, all things break down. And who knows? We may get jobs in television. We may move on. I mean, Mighty Car Mods are still going strong. In the case of Matt Farrow and the Smoking Tire, he does so much more stuff than just the Smoking Tire, but he still, I assume he still owns the Smoking Tire. That's probably his business. Everything does end at some point, and you have to have the foresight to know that that's going to happen. And it sounds like this was your first business, though. So how did you, you know, a lot of people would just say, hey, you know, I want to trudge through the depths of the internet together with someone. You're my guy. Let's just partner on this. But you said, no, I'm going to do this and you're going to independently contract for me. Right. Regular car reviews like Freddie Mercury and Bohemian Rhapsody, this is my baby and it will succeed or fail under my actions. So if something goes wrong, it's my fault. I will share the success, but I will take the responsibility completely for anything that goes wrong. Right. And that's kind of the responsibility of a founder, right? Is to burden the failures and to be accountable for that and not have everybody go down on the ship. Share the success, but burden the failures. Now, it still is a collaborative process between myself and the Roman, but Roman has other jobs. He does other things. I arrange the trips. I do all the editing and the majority of the voice acting. I do half the writing, although some reviews are written completely by Roman and some are also voiced by the Roman. He does a few. Roman writes all the songs. I am tone deaf. I can play the drums, but not that. But we still split the YouTube profits. As far as we also have a Patreon, which really pays for us to travel. How does that work? <laughs> How's Patreon work? People give you money. You don't have to, but if people want to throw in a buck a month or so, great. And that allows, because traveling is expensive. We need gas money. We need plane fares. We have to go out and do things. So you started asking people for money. Did that feel weird to you? And how's the process been going? It felt a little bit weird, but we wanted to leave Pennsylvania. We wanted to go out and see more stuff. And 
I offered it completely sincerely. Here are our goals. Here's what we're going to do with your money. And here's what you're going to see for your investment. You're going to be able to see us travel. You're going to see our new project car. We'll bring the car out. We'll start filming it. We're on goal three of four. Three was a Vagabond Falcon. Goal four is to save up and go film cars in the United Kingdom. That's going to be expensive. So in terms of the money that you guys have coming in, which is more substantial? Is it the YouTube money? Yes. Are you able to make a full-time living off that now? I'm not sure. When I quit my job and started doing regular car reviews full-time, I didn't know if living off of YouTube would succeed, especially since Roman and I split the money. Or it's just a gentleman's agreement that I pay him half of the YouTube profits. I planned doing regular car reviews as a full-time job a year before I started doing it as a full-time job, and that I saved every cent I could from my day job. And I lived like a hermit and I didn't travel, I didn't party, I didn't even buy beer. And I saved up enough money that I could live off of, pay my rent, bills, car insurance, everything for a year. So I would have this pad saying, no matter what happens, even if we don't make a cent, I'm good for a year. On the show, we call it runway. This is my 12 month runway. And it's been almost two years now. And the money that I get from YouTube, like my share of it, I haven't used for living expenses yet. I've just saved it. In the meantime, I picked up some side jobs like Road and Track and some others I can't talk about right now just because I agreed to just some other industry stuff that I also was able to put back in my savings account. So that year-long runway is still there in the eventual time where that runway runs out. And then I start to have to pay myself with YouTube money. And I told Roman that, look, because he still has a day job. He's making honestly more money than I am. And I told him, when my savings account runs dry, we may have to rethink this 50-50 split. And he says, I understand that. But as of yet, it has yet to happen. And RCR continues to grow. And that's another reason why we didn't go into partnerships because we're good friends. But I was warned by Freddie Tavarish, Tavarish, another guy from Jalopnik who has had a few businesses as for himself. He says, be very careful with forming partnerships unless everything is on the level because he says, I've seen friendships go bad. And he said, don't think of being the sole managing member or sole proprietor. Like regular car reviews, LLC is really registered as an escort, a sole proprietorship. Take this in the spirit in which it's intended. Don't be afraid to be a dictator because it is your operation and you should have the authority to say, here's what we're going to do. It's interesting to see, you know, through these partnerships, I get to see a lot of them. How much is dictated by, call it like personal trajectory as well? So, you know, as soon as like the Roman, I don't know if you guys have kids, but, you know, somebody has a kid or somebody moves away, you know, things like this can almost instantly break up a partnership that really has nothing to do with the business. Right. Roman and I are still single. I'm seeing some people, but now and again, but yeah, that's another thing. You don't want a a Yoko Ono coming to break up the band. (laughs) Right. But eventually it's going to happen. Trust me. Eventually. Yeah. I'm very interested to hear from you how the collaborative writing process happens. It seems like you guys maybe split duties on, you know, does somebody write one complete episode or do you collaborate a lot? And how does that work get passed back and forth from each other? What normally happens is I'm filming a car and Roman will take notes. I have a pretty good memory when it comes to cars. So I will write my review based on my own memory and feelings. Roman will take care of some of the technical aspects, stuff that can be looked up. And then he will email me like a Word document of his narrative. 
I will take that and weave in my thoughts. Sometimes I'll edit his a little bit. His narrative comes first and mine comes in second. Although sometimes it's flipped. Like right now I'm looking at my calendar and there's a review coming up on the 22nd that I told him I'm writing this one completely because there's like a few things I really want to say with this and that'll happen. Or in his case, there was a final Ford Thunderbird. He completely wrote that one and narrated it because he is a thing for Ford Thunderbirds. Even though he doesn't drive one, he drives a Mustang. I've got a car crush. It's got a shapely butt. That fox body black sheep is talk of the town. The new model also severely reduced the use of chrome. Return my treasures to me and I myself will carry you through the gates of Valhalla. Yes, the Thunderbird Turbo Coupe followed in the same idea as the SVO Mustang. And it kind of is an SVO Mustang, except it isn't. Who's the historian in the group? Seems like it might be you. Both of us. Roman is more hip to pop culture. And what did he write his thesis on? Gosh, I can't remember. Mine's early American modernism, so like 1870 to 1910. Basically nothing that's interesting to YouTube viewers, 99% of YouTube viewers. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. That's realism. Are all you people uh... – see, now we can get away from business if we get into literature. All sorts of stuff that doesn't make money. <laughs> right. As far as videos that make money, like when I review a nice car, like a fast car, like a GT500 or a Ferrari or something like that, those will be the money makers. I get to drive it. Ooh. So have dozens of others. Demirio's 360 is the village bicycle of Ferraris. The entire Northeast and most of Atlanta has driven her. Go watch the videos. Gotta do this. Gotta do this. It's Christmas. All right. All right. We're driving a Ferrari. Uh, so what do we need to know? The Ariel Adam, that was a big cha-ching because they have wider appeal to every young man when they look at car videos just like me. You don't care about your parents' car. You care about the one you can't get. Cult cars are great, but big blockbuster cars with big engines and stuff, they're the ones keeping the lights on. From what I can figure too, a lot of people find your videos, you know, Googling or I should say YouTubing uh, 1994 Honda Accord review because they're looking to buy that car. Yeah, we do that by having a thumbnail on the video that just has the car, clear shot of the car, big title right on top of car, name of car, and that's an eye catcher. They just click on, oh, this one looks like a real review. And then that's what they get. Half of them leave, and then the other half, I got them for life. Where are you getting your YouTube inspiration from? Not necessarily in terms of how you guys make your videos, because I think that's very unique, but the way that you're running your YouTube business. Who are you guys talking to? Farrah told me about the big, easy-to-read thumbnail. Matt Farrah told me about that. Recently, I switched the titles. I met someone from the Cinemasker team, you know, Angry Video Game Nerd, if you saw those video game videos. He told me, if you want to get better search results, he said, I saw all your videos start with regular car reviews and then a colon and then the name of the car. He said, switch those. That'll bump yours up higher in search results when people are specifically looking for cars. He said, the people you already subscribe to, don't worry about them. They're going to watch your videos no matter what. Put the name of the car first, and then in the description, make sure those words are repeated, like review. And he says in the actual description of the video, like in this video, we review the something something and then have your joke. That will help as well. 
Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the world that I came from, you know, my first product was a physical product that we were importing from China and it landed on our doorstep and it was $50,000 and we had this huge container and we had to figure out how to market the product and it wasn't going to go viral or anything like that, like regular car reviews. So we actually had to put effort behind kind of optimizing these channels like Google and Twitter and Yahoo. And at the time it was Yahoo and YouTube, but you guys have a different problem, which is, you know, you have gone, I would say like viral, you are a sensation, but then some of these optimizations haven't quite happened yet. So do you see them as opportunities? Has anybody ever showed you like, hey guys, here's a way to double your income from kind of optimizing your channel? Yeah, it was the same guy from Cinemasker who said, you know how most channels or videos at the end say, thanks for watching. If you like this, click here and here to try to keep people on your channel to get another video. That will make more money, but I don't want to do that because I think it's insipid and insulting the people. Maybe... I'm too small town and thinking, well, we're making good money right now. I don't really need to do that. In that way, I suppose I'm not the most advantageous businessman. I was about to use the word avaristic businessman, but that would be a small dig at making too much money. Although this is more money than I've ever had before. Although by national standards, we're just sort of still lower middle class. It's an interesting problem, you know, and I think you guys might, in my opinion, you're approaching it right. I mean, part of me asking the questions about optimization and whatnot, seems like you're more focused on integrity. And I'd call it like kicking the can down the road in terms of the income, right? It's like anytime you want, you can kind of cash that check. But let's see what can happen if we just continue to snowball this thing and not try and sell people something at every turn on the internet. Dennis Miller said to, when he used to have Dennis Miller live, he had George Carlin on as a guest and he said to George Carlin, people really like you and your fans believe you never let them down or bullshitted you and it shows off in the way you're received. So that's something that money cannot replicate is trust in your viewers that you are doing this honestly and you are not keeping anything from them. So any mistake I make, I'll admit to. At the beginning of the show, you mentioned TV. Is that something that you think you want to do eventually if the opportunity comes up? TV is the big double D hooker that you just want to dive into, knowing that it's as fake as her tits, but oh, it's still there. It's that cherry you want to pop. Have you been approached? No. I have, and this is stuff I can't talk about, I have done some work for some cable shows as a writer and associate producer, although, again, I really shouldn't talk about it. Sure. I haven't gone to LA to do that work. It's just something arrives in my email. Roman and I punch up a little bit and it goes back out. And then eventually a check arrives in the mail. Because I think even Ferris said this or, gosh, who was it? it? May have been Joe Rogan who said, the money still is in television. As big as the internet is, the budgets are still in TV. Connections and stuff are still there. Yes, Netflix changed everything, House of Cards, Game of Thrones, and that is the new new, but the old money still has more money. And the thing I want most for regular car reviews right now is a closed road. I really want Kutztown's abandoned airport, which is now just a helipad for Lehigh Valley Hospital. But that runway still exists with big X's on it. I want to film on that because then we can do stuff and not have to look over shoulder. We can go fast. Right now, the writing on regular car reviews has to carry the weight because we're filming in public. We can't drive fast. We can't do fun things with the car. If we had a controlled environment, like an old runway, then we can review cars in a much better way. Even American Top Gear, for all its successes and criticisms, 
still was able to do things we can't off-roading stuff. Right. Because they had budget, they had insurance, and they had closed roads. Oh, that insurance and lawyers. How does that work for you guys? We're not big enough. We can't do that. That would sap our entire budget for a year just to do one video if we did it like television. Say I found out the man who owned the parcel for Kutztown Airport and say, I'd like to film something. Well, he'd need a little bit of money. We'd have to have insurance. Probably somebody in Kutztown Borough would be, and let's not mince words, would need a bribe. Call it administrative costs, but we know what that is. Taxes. Yeah, there's taxes. Now, as far as taxes go, regular car reviews is still in its first three years. And when you start a LLC, I think either in Pennsylvania or maybe, well, each state is a little bit different. As far as I know, in Pennsylvania, you can operate at a loss for three years and that's allowed because you're just getting started. Although our first year, we operated as a loss because we built the Vagabond Falcon. Good morning and welcome to the Vagabond Falcon. This is what you helped me buy. It's around 7 in the morning here in Nashville. My goal this evening is to get to Blacksburg, Virginia. By the way, building cars on a company dime, there's nothing more that the IRS likes to see than that. It's a tricky thing, right? Because most small business owners in America, oh, I own three trucks. Yeah, this boat is for taking clients out, this and that. But I guess you guys have a pretty transparent business. Not to say that you're not hiding anything or anything like that. The Vagabond Falcon is a company car, and it's going to be used as a film vehicle and a promotional asset for the show. I don't want to use something so worn out and eye rolling as growing the brand, but it does. <laughs> Since we don't show our faces, the Falcon is the face of the show. Although it has yet to appear in the background as a camera car because we're still dialing it in through testing and tuning. But you talked about transparency. I'd offer this piece of advice to anybody wanting to do YouTube as their main job. You need an accountant because especially if you're going to have the kind of travel expenses and medium overhead that we do, like or any car review would, hotel costs, stuff like that. I have an accountant and the accountant office has a tax lawyer in it and I pay them money and they do my taxes. In the event that RCR gets audited, I have all my records. Every time that business card swipes, I save that receipt and I write it down. I do it the old school way. I have the old dome notebook. Shoebox. Shoebox is amateur hour. I have a three ring binder. Oh, wow. With slots in it. Every receipt goes in there chronologically. It's usually about week by week. And I put a sticky note on the inside facing out of each page that says like June 7 to 14. And all the receipts go in there. And then in the dome notebook, there's a description and category for everything I put in. I hand that to my accountant and she files the taxes for me as well as my personal taxes. And does she say things like, I haven't seen it done like this since the 80s? She said she was impressed. She says using QuickBooks would be faster. <laughs> of course, this year I've went and got the Excel spreadsheet so I can just hand her the file. That'll be easier for her. Then she had to input all of that by hand into her computer. So this year... I just made a replica of the Dome notebook in Excel. I'm sure there's a lot easier ways to do this, but again, not a business major. Small steps. We set our fiscal year to start on January 1st. That makes it super easy. Like, what year is it? Okay, that's the first year. So we went through our first year. Cool. Everything good. Now this is our second year. So far, so good. Trying to keep expenses as low, low as possible. I mean, some people ask, well, what does it take to get on RCR? <laughs> Drive to us. <laughs> That's gas we don't have to burn. Even though the federal government allows 
I think it's 57. It's in the three ring binder, I'm assuming. Yeah, I should go and get it. Should I go and get it? Yeah, that would be awesome. I would love to see what's in that. Ah, here we go. July, government allows 57.5 cents per mile. That's why I drive a Honda Fit. It doesn't cost that much to drive a mile. It costs less than that. If you're on a business trip, you're logging those miles. And also, this was something I got from my dad. When you drive anywhere on business, get a receipt from your destination. Even if you only have to add one gallon of fuel to the tank, you have that receipt from that gas station where you were. Can you read us a couple of the receipts that are in that binder? Sure, I can do that. Big three-ring binder, February 7th, 2000 and, ouch, 16. We have two rechargeable pivot lights. They are video lights with magnetic bases, useful for filming, because I don't want to carry around studio lights, those horrible things. Right, so you stick these things to the side of the car. They're made by Snap-on. Oh, wow. I thought you guys were on a budget. Hey, these things you can drop. They were $61.95 a piece, but they are really, really tough. I recommend them. Part number ECFHKY. Video light. Having a paper record backing up your digital record. If one goes, you still have the other. Say my computer crashes for some horrible reason and I lose all my Excel sheets. Well, I still have the paper ones. Or say, heaven forbid, there's a fire but I can still access my hard drive, it exists there. And of course, the third thing would be have a cloud, right? That's happened in the last couple of years, yeah. Oh, to you? Oh, just in general. All right, so let's go to February. February 7th, 10th, and there it is. Day 10, two lights, bought with credit, or rather, you know, check card. Category 34. So category 34 is production equipment, and... That is $131.34. Who do you think will be the first three people that you hire in your business? Someone from Kutztown University Radio. Call it nepotism if you want, but I would hire the same kind of people who helped me when I was... Because the beginnings of regular car reviews and my speaking style started when I did college radio. So I know that those type of people would have mic etiquette, know how to speak on a microphone probably would know how to write as well. At some point, first we would take an intern. Of course, that's weird because we don't have an office. It's just my apartment. Well, it's not weird. Yeah. I mean, that's what we did. So we had this, we still have this blog, The Tropical MBA. We started blogging about how our business came to be. And, you know, soon enough, a lot of people were following that blog. And one of the most successful things that I think we've done in this organization is offer internships. And at this point, we probably offered 15 of them. And everyone's worked remotely. I mean, everyone has contributed tremendously to the growth of our business, some for free. So I think it's important not to underestimate the amount of people that are probably sitting on the edge of their chair in front of their computer, just waiting for you guys to offer something like that for the opportunity to A, work with you, but then also B, understand the skill set that you guys are building, if that's something they're interested in as well. I can build a separate workstation in my apartment because it's just me. Although I wonder how weird that would be because what I need help with most is editing. The editing in regular cars is there's no after effects in it. There's no special effects. It's just quick cuts and color correction. And that I can teach to anyone. What I do is we write the narrative first and then conform the video to it. A good day for me is when I edit four minutes of video a day. It takes on average a half hour to edit one minute of an RCR video at my current speed. So if I have a 10-minute video, then that took 10 hours to make one video. That's way below minimum wage, what I'm getting. So an intern who could do that for me, well, we could focus on writing, would be great. 
Right, because there's things in your business that only you and the Roman can do, right? Only you guys can write. People want to, I'm sure, want to meet you when you review their cars. But there's some of the stuff that like, you can train to people, like you're saying, video editing. So what do you think it is that's, that's stopping you from offering that opportunity to somebody? I would feel weird having someone in my apartment. <laughs> Because, like, this is the same computer I masturbate at. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, honestly, like, that's what you're thinking about. Sorry, I think I peaked my audio there. But this is my personal space. I mean, really, I'm an introvert. I like to have alone time and a lot of it. And having someone over there, I guess, and maybe even with Farah, that's why they rented that office. They now have an office, little office. Before they used to do everything out of his house. And he said, it got kind of weird with people coming and going all the time. Yep. I've been there. Yeah. My apartment is a single bedroom apartment. I would turn my living room into a separate office. I could just put another desk in there and get another desktop computer and put it in there and set it up for editing. But Or you guys could drink like 10 coffees and meet at Starbucks. Yeah, we could do that. I'd have to put all my footage on, a, on an external drive give it to an intern and say, here, make something of it. Then they would have to come back. Here's another thing. We'd have to go back and forth because I want the video to look a certain way and there'd be a rough transitioning period as I teach somebody else my style or maybe even they pick up some styles that I never did. The easiest thing would be to have someone here. That would be the easiest workflow. But again, I'd have to learn how to be a boss to more than one person. Of course, as far as I am the Roman's boss. And he said he's comfortable with that. But since we all know each other, we've known each other since college, we know how each other, how we think. It's kind of the future though, right? I mean, you might not view yourself as the boss, right? But if I had to guess in the direction that regular car reviews is going, it's going to continue to grow. And so eventually you're going to have to have people working for you. It's almost like a mental mind shift that needs to happen, I'm assuming. That's another thing I'd have to I know I'm a control freak, and that's why I want regular cars to be a certain way. It's a good question. I'm, I'm starting to run out of words here, but I know there is a bit of fearfulness in me that RCR has to succeed or I'm going to go back to the job I kind of didn't want in the first place or go back to working in a bakery or mowing lawns again. I don't want to go back to the punch clock. I like being my own boss so much. I am afraid to delegate a little bit for fear that I would make the wrong move. And yet, you need to learn how to entrust responsibilities to other people. And part of that is, you know, I get that from my dad. My dad was an incredible micromanager. And to an extent, I am as well. Although, as far as Roman's writing, I trust whatever he does. But when it comes to things like editing and scheduling trips and making decisions involving money, I still would have a hard time dishing that out to anybody else. I've got a book that you might find interesting. It's kind of hard to find now. You might look on Amazon. It's called Maverick by Ricardo Semler. He has some amazing philosophies on management. So you might want to check that out. And it was one of the books that I read that really inspired me in, in the early days. And I think we hired our first employee like two or three years in. It was after I read that book. And immediately after I read that book, and immediately after we hired our first employee, I had deep, deep regret for not making the decision earlier. Really? Yeah, I felt like I could have accelerated the business probably 40 to 50% faster if I had hired that person. This company that we founded, I was a product designer. And so that's part of the reason why that business existed, because I was designing products. And I thought, like everybody thinks that they're the best at what they do. And that changed the moment I hired another product designer that was better than me. And then I said, oh, shit. 
I've been wasting my time all along. My true talent is running this business and doing all the things that only I can do. There's a million product designers out there. And we started producing better products than we had ever produced before. So it was just one of those moments in my life, in my career, where I felt like I had screwed up because I couldn't get past myself in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. The idea that someone else is making decisions that will affect your food budget that you don't have input on, at least at some level, makes me feel like I would be walking on a tightrope. Especially when it's taken off so fast, it still feels like I have one foot in a successful future and another foot in poverty or the worst feeling. What if it fails and I got to go move back in with mom and dad? Crap like that. You're still thinking worst case scenario and the worst case scenario is very real and it's something that you don't want to happen. Right. We're only, even though RCR was brown, like the channel existed for like four years, it didn't become serious until a little over a year ago. In terms of the camera equipment that you guys are using, one of the things that it seems like you guys pioneered was the POV or the point of view cam, which seems to be really popular. And I assume it's probably a little bit easier, you guys, on editing. Is that right? Yeah, you just strap it to your head. And GoPro makes the head strap and the head mount. It's easy. And people love to watch it. And so how did you come up with that? Uh, I put it on my head. <laughs> well, most people that make car videos, that's not how they make car videos. You're right. Isn't that true? They point the camera at themselves. Egos. I'm not knocking people. I mean, if you have a personality and if you are interesting, that works for you. For me, I don't care to be on camera. I don't want to be on camera. Although I still talked about television, didn't I? Yeah. You did. I probably could pull it off being on camera, but I'm a writer, really. I prefer being behind the camera. Or voice acting, which I enjoy as well. I think you said something at one time, and I don't remember where this was, and I could be paraphrasing you or misquoting you, but I think you said something like, you know, all these car shows, they focus on the presenter and not so much on the show. And so that's why you chose to be anonymous. And also the job I had, I thought I was going to try to keep. And if I'm there on camera talking about pussy juice, Ah. I may not get hired. But that's over, right? But it's over, right. So, I mean, there is one or two videos where I do have the traditional camera on myself. They went all right, but I'm I'm still comfortable behind the camera. There's a little bit of Half-Life and Gordon Freeman. You become me as you're looking through my eyes or rather just above my eyes because that's where the GoPro is. Right. That makes sense. So do you think that you're always going to stay anonymous or do you feel like this is coming to an end? I mean, on some of the videos, you're starting to show your face. Is there a lot of reasons to stay anonymous at this point for you? Personal reasons. I don't think I'm that great to look at. So... I have a face for radio. That's what we say all the time. Yep. I guess I'm okay. (laughs) I mean, automotive journalists in general aren't pretty boys. Unless it was essential to the narrative that you see my face, you won't. The point is the car. It's not me and like the history and the the culture surrounding it. So you don't necessarily see it as part of your future. I mean, in some ways you've built your brand around becoming anonymous and not showing your face. And also for people who just discover it, they're going to discover the majority of the videos were made when I still had the day job when I'd blur any part of my face out. And it also makes it fun for people who meet us to say, oh, I actually saw him. You know, there's that. I often get when talking to people in public, it's so weird hearing this voice like right in front of me because like any sort of radio, it's like when I first saw Garrison Keillor. Like, that's the face and that voice comes out? (laughs) I pictured this guy with slick jet black hair and a commanding Gregory Peck chin. Not another English nerd like myself. And I also can tell that my hair is thinning, like on the top, because I'm 35. So it's starting. Oh, boy. I got another good three years 
before the buzzer's coming out, and I'm just going to go Chris Harris, just and eventually just go Matt Farah. You know, fortunately, we live in like 2016, and it's not weird to just shave your head anymore. It's normal. Oh, I mean, back in the day, you would shave it, and then you know you'd have a toupee or whatever. But check this on for size. I lost my hair at like 24. Ouch! When you lose your hair at your 24, you think you're dying. Really? Like you look in the mirror and you think like. I might be dying right now because who loses their hair at 24? But then you take out the clippers and it all works out. Like you said, I don't think it's too bad in 2016 to be bald. I think that you'll still probably have a popular YouTube channel and people will still like you. Thanks. You sound really worried about regular car reviews like failing at some point, but a lot of times like these failure mechanisms like happen over time and it's like hitting a battleship with rockets, right? I mean, it's just not generally one hit. It's generally like a series of hits that's going to sink the ship. So what do you see the failure point as regular car reviews being at some point, if there is one? Stagnation. I fear running out of ideas. That's why I read as much as I do. I fear some sort of mistake I would make financially or logistically. I fear running afoul of the law, even though we do nothing wrong. I don't even speed. It's a mild form of delusions of persecution. And it also comes the way you grew up. I mean, I was a weird kid in high school, and now I'm a weird guy now. You understand early and often that you are or I am the other, the negative, that which deserves to be punished for being. And it builds itself into your psyche that the world will get its revenge for your happiness. I know that seems incredibly sad and morbid, but... In the 90s, you know, they threw around fag pretty regularly as a word. So you internalize it like, well, okay, I'm the one you can shove around and it's okay. In a recent video, I, of course, changed names, recent video about the Ford Festiva, about a time where there was this one kid in high school during open gym. And there was this one guy who would just, when the gym teacher or teachers had their backs turned, would just whip basketballs up my head. And then when you turn around, he's wearing a halo. Because the Festiva was small, it was mocked. Because it was slow, it was punished. Because it was cheap, it was rejected. And because it was the smallest car of its time, it was at the bottom of the totem pole. The car to be picked on constantly. A Festiva had so little clout that Kurt Fortmeyer could throw basketballs at its head in open gym and Mr. Carpenter would see it and look away. And one or two times the gym teacher just saw him do it and the gym teacher didn't do anything because I'm not worthy. I'm so low on the totem pole. I'm not even worth a scolding to the guy giving me crap. So, okay, I'm the type of guy who does deserve to be punished and it's going to happen again, even though you know we're all grown-ups now. That sort of stuff sinks its hooks into your personality and you just feel that, okay, you're a loser and you're going to remain so. I'm not trying to play the victim here. I'm just speaking in an honest way. I know that I am successful, but I don't feel that way. I still feel like a failure. I still feel like a loser. So got to keep up the momentum. Got to keep running. It's interesting when you talk a little bit about kind of the sadness and this eminent failure Although you have seen a lot of successes stack up the last couple of years. So what are you doing to kind of retrain your brain to say like, it's okay for me to be happy. It's okay for me to succeed. It's okay for me to not feel guilty about the way that I spend my days. I know that it's okay to feel good, but I don't know how. 
I am happy when I'm driving the Falcon. I'm happy when I'm driving my Honda Fit. I'm happy when I'm editing and happy when I'm riding. But when I'm in public, I am content to be in the background, which makes it odd when I'm recognized. I'm not sure what to do. Are they expecting me to do the gravelly voice? Are they expecting me to repeat lines from the show? I thank them for liking RCR and hope that their experience with me in public is a memorable one. The question I have for you, though, is I remember these people in high school, too, growing up, and it's interesting to see where they've kind of developed and where they've kind of ended up. Have you seen any cases of success where people were rewarded for that behavior into their 30s? I hardly see anybody I knew that the only people I stayed in contact with were a few people from my band and close friends from my neighborhood. It's interesting, you know, in high school, you're friends through proximity and situation a lot of times, not so much that you like each other. And so now that, you know, you're in your 30s, you know, what are some of the kinds of decisions that you're making to become friends with people? Is it mostly car buffs or do you find commonalities through other interests? Most of my friends now are related through the car world, although I still don't get out and hang out. There's only like three or four people I may go over to their houses where I'm pedaling as hard as I can with RCR. As far as business friends, the word business to me still sounds icky. It conjures up images of a guy who did a lot of blow in college, who wants to talk about mergers and other platitudic phrases that mean nothing. Of course, that's me having a negative idea of commerce. Why do you think you're allergic to money in that way? Very good question. I don't know. I suppose I have a mental image of the local businessman, big fish in a small town with the big belly, the slick back hair, the gold rings, in a town where the biggest wheelers and dealers is the guy who owns three Dunkin' Donuts because a business owner is someone who can make terrible jokes to you and you have to laugh or you may be fired. I'm speaking in terms of menial jobs. Growing up, you think the manager of McDonald's is in his Toyota Camry LE, his high roller, because he has power over you. Doesn't that tie into the way I felt during high school, being under the thumb of larger boys who were, by virtue of their muscles and good looks, were in positions of power within the small high school? And not liking how it felt, and then going into your job, working at a produce market, flipping burgers, and it was more of the same. You are under the thumb of larger men and not liking how that felt. You felt there was nothing you can do but put on your apron and grin and bear it. I feared that someone involved in business only cared about what he or she could get from me and cared little about the way I felt. But at the same time, I know that to be successful in running something that makes money, your emotion should take a backseat to common sense. And I know that as well from flipping motorcycles or even buying cars. I really wanted that white 1988 AW11. I really liked the man, but his price didn't reflect the market. So I said, I'd love to buy this from you. When I went up to him, I went to eBay and just selected past auctions and like completed auctions. Like here's what people really paid for and a Mark I MR2 with your mileage. Here's what people really are paying for them. He wanted 8,000. The average was four and a half thousand is what the average. And I say, I'll pay you a little bit more than that. I'll pay you five. And he just sort of looked at the ground. 
I didn't even say sorry. I'm like, you got my number. If you want to talk more, give me a call. And that's why I'm so fearful of talking about money because money is the ultimate indifference. It doesn't care about good or evil. Of course, like I'm psychoanalyzing myself as if money is a character and has influence when clearly it does, even though it's an intangible thing. Alan Watts called money only a measure of wealth. It's not the real thing. It's like saying, well, we can't build this house today. We're all out of inches. For me, it's a means to an end, right? Or it can be a measurement of freedom in my sense, right? So I use my money to buy plane tickets. I use my money to buy cool, inexpensive cars that I like to drive. I use it to buy food that I like to eat, things like that. It's kind of a means to this freedom or this end. And in that way, you know, part of the way that you're describing business is almost like you have to get over on someone to make a good business deal. Like I have to screw you in order to be good on my end. Right. That's the fear that I have. I do. Do you think that that's real? Do you think that you can come out of a business relationship with both people getting what they want? I don't know. Maybe it's being in a small town when I saw people who were successful. There was, from my perspective, conspicuous consumption on their part. They wanted you to know they had cash. Okay, here's a good example. My mom recently retired and she bought a retirement present for herself a 16-year-old Mercedes, a 2000 SLK 230 compressor with like 30,000 miles on it. She paid $12,000 for it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a two-seater red Mercedes convertible, you know, hard top convertible. And when I drive it, even though this thing is cheap, it's a $12,000 used car. People in $50,000 Dodge Cummins pickup trucks will look down at you figuratively and literally, as if, oh, here comes Mr. Moneybags in his Mercedes. Comparatively speaking, the money we've spent on the Vagabond Falcon turning that into the nice cruiser that it is costs more than that. You know, Matt Ferris said that if you buy a project car, $12,000 is the minimum you're going to spend if you're going to build up something. Either you're going to pay that up front or you're going to nickel and dime that. We went a little bit over that. And that was with six sponsors. The fear of losing money and the fear of failing taught me how to hustle for sponsors big time. And now I have a completely different opinion about those who build a car with sponsored parts. From a tax perspective, we didn't spend all that much on the Falcon, although I couldn't do it without the Patreon because that's what fuels RCR. That's what keeps it going. We had six sponsors and Advanced Auto Parts was one of them. They gave us all the parts to rebuild that engine. We got the entire front end of the car sponsored, you know, like the double A arms, coilovers, rack and pinion steering. And then through friends, we got a good deal on the motor, the trans, lots of the little parts. Speedway Motors was another good sponsor. So they just gave us stuff. That's me answering my own question. Those were all business deals, weren't they? Right. In exchange for promotion, all these companies gave us parts in addition to Bruce Hens Garage. And we're all happy with the outcome. They got promotion and I got this car. We were both happy. That is the end of Mr. Regular. I hope it won't be the last time that we talk to him on this show. And I wanted to thank him personally for coming on and spending so much time with me talking on the phone. You know, Dan, we talked a lot longer than this podcast was, and I really enjoyed speaking with him. Great mind. With this three-part episode series where we're talking 
with people who've turned passions that we share into businesses, that was the case in all three conversations. There was like this long off the record conversation, just getting to know the person. So that was like a fun part of, I guess, being a podcaster in this sense is that we got to call these people up. I don't know, before this podcast, I never would have thought that you could reach out to this person, and make that connection. So glad that you did, because it's such an amazing channel that it has brought a lot of laughs into my life. So it's cool to see the story behind it. And it's also cool, you know, we ended the episode with Mr. Regular kind of talking about his ideas about what a business person is, historically speaking. And I think one of the things that we try and do on this show is provide an alternative for people that are looking to get into some kind of business, are looking to change their life through business, but not necessarily in the traditional way that you would view a business person in the past, right? Kind of stuffy, looking to get one over on somebody, wearing a suit, (laughs) carrying a Blackberry. They don't make those anymore. But there are different scripts. Exactly. And we're trying to, you know, change the vibe of the business culture. It doesn't need to be all those things anymore. In fact, a lot of the best businesses really just came from passion. They really did. People that were interested in things so much that they couldn't help but to do it. And that in and of itself is a form of leadership. It's attractive. And people want to see what you're up to when you're passionate about things. And I think a lot of times you say, instead of doing what I'm passionate about, I'm just, you know, I just got to make money. And so I'm just going to forget about the things I'm passionate about. I'm going to do what other people say. I'm going to try to cut deals, do all these things. And I think that sort of lifestyle where, you know, you sacrifice your true interest to do something different is part of the reason that I think that becomes very unattractive for people. I didn't grow up thinking like, oh yeah, I want to be one of those people who doesn't do what they really want to do. It does something completely different from that. (laughs) Right? Everybody has to make compromises, but I think there's something fascinating about people that are fascinated and that you can hear it. These guys are funny and they love writing and they love performing and they love the cars that they're driving. And there's something attractive about that. Thank you again to Mr. Regular for coming on the show and being so open about his progress. And thank you listeners for tuning in. And we will see you next week on another episode of the Tropical MBA. Wait, we got some house cleaning to do. This is going to be posted at tropicalmba.com slash RCR. That was your job this week. That's what you get paid for. Nobody goes there, do they? They go there all the time. What are you talking about? Just kidding. Ian watches this stuff. Check it out. TropicalMBA.com slash RCR. You can ask Ian a question there. Also, next week, we're going to have the third part of this series where we talk about another person who's turned their obsession, passion into a business. I don't think we should reveal it yet. I think we should just wait until next week. Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm in suspense. (laughs) See you then. See you then. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.